Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ's culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined here in the studio today with my co-host, Laura. Hey, everybody. And Steven. Hey, 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 everyone. We're really thrilled as we're going to embark on a new conversation today about progressive Christianity. But before we kind of get into the topic today, we have had a little bit of a season break as we've been laying out some new episodes. We're starting with a new format. So today is the um, second time that we've kind of released another episode in our new format. We're releasing a podcast every other Friday. And in doing so, we're also working to provide you with a landing guide. And so we hope that that was a help uh, on the last episode. Today, we're going to do the same thing uh, as we're talking about progressive of Christianity, but you know, it has been a little while since we've been back a recording with one another. So Laura, what's been happening over the break? Um, I guess the most exciting thing I did was take the Amtrak to DC with this a group of thrilling. ladies. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? I know uh, I did something, you know, I have a life. <laughs> I was really excited. I have something to share. <laughs> so <laughs> we got on the Amtrak and we went to DC and um, actually, I guess it was Alexandria. And we went to a Lifeway Women's Conference um, where Jackie Hill Perry was the speaker and it was her glory conference. And it was so good. And it was so good because the entire conference from every song they sang, every person that said anything um, to the messages was all about God and his holiness. Mm. It was so good. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Stephen, what you been up to? Um, let's see. September has been me just trying to get back into life since I lost the entire month of August to a heart procedure and COVID. So I feel like September in the past couple of weeks has just been me trying to get back into a routine. <laughs> trying but I to know get what you're doing later and today. stuff like that. Um, I have been oh, preparing. Yeah, he is. He's geared up. For I this. have been preparing for hunting season. Um, I feel like that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> that is a major. Understatement. I mean, we'll put it this way. Okay. My Amazon cart the other day looked like this. Grunt call, scent foam, and buck urine. So if that tells you anything about my preparations recently. With that. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's been my, so uh, that's been my life. So, um, but no, I am, gonna, I am looking forward to um, hunting. I find solace in being out in the woods and sitting there when it's quiet and being able to spend time just um, thinking and I actually have some theology questions that I'm going to be thinking over this fall. Some things that I'm personally working through and thinking about. Would you share one with and, us? Uh, Something sure, you're wrestling with? I would share one um, uh, specifically, and how and what I believe about the age of accountability um, that most people would uh, frame and talk about. So uh, that may be new. To yeah, some if people you don't know what I'm talking before, about, what do you mean by that? Many people will say, "Well, what happens to?" Um, children that die when they're babies or before they're born. And if that has ever happened to you, let me say that that is a um, horrible thing. And I'm sorry to hear, hear that that has happened because that is a very trying time. But how do I effectively explain what the Bible says about that is something I'm trying to think through. Because I've always just said, hey, I believe this. Hmm. But I'm trying to figure out what do I actually believe and what does the Bible say about it? And how can I explain that better? Um uh, especially because there will be times when we have to work through things like that because life does happen. And so trying to think through what I believe about that and how the Lord works in that and what scripture says. Mm, mm. Um, so, so yeah, 
What about you, Aaron? What you been up to? I have, well, the colder weather is making me realize that my wood shop is a desirable again. So I'm going, because you can't work in a wood shop when it's like 95 degrees in the summer. It's no. just, it's unbearable, even with an air conditioner. So I've been getting back in my wood shop. I'm working on a little project right now. Uh, Jessica wants me to build one of these things. It's called like a mommy's helper. Like, what, have you ever seen one of those things? Like that you stand for kids, little kids to stand or like to stand up. To help on like the countertop, that's like, cool. It's no, like the standing like version of a, it's like a, it's a very fancy stool. Like <laughs> it's like the standing version of a high chair, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. I'm learning it. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm enjoying it and uh, having a good time with that. I think actually, though, going back to what you're saying, Stephen, I think that really sets up our discussion well today because I think it's it, we want to start as we're talking about progressive Christianity. You know, this might be a a new phrase, and I think here's the challenge. When you think about progressive Christianity, oftentimes probably uh, people instantly hear the word progressive. And so in in conjunction with that, we think of what? Uh, I mean, a lot of in our highly politicized nature culture today, it's politics instantly. Right? Okay. So I, we want to set the stage a little bit for what we're trying to talk about. What we're really trying to look at today is kind of this cultural wave of progressive Christianity that often is at the core of a lot of people's thinking of how they're approaching topics today, but it's not often clearly defined. And you probably wouldn't clearly pick up on it uh, until you kind of dig down a little bit, because the thing is, when you hear, you know, progressive Christianity, or you even see it, it in in the surface, it seems like, hey, it's a Christian worldview. Um, it seems maybe positive in some of what it's trying to accomplish. But when you really bore down into what it is, you actually realize it's no longer historic Christianity at all. Uh, and we're going to get into that here on the episode today. So, Laura, help set up our conversation is we're going to talk about progressive Christianity. Where do we want to begin? I think we should probably begin with... Um for me, it would be defining the opposite, defining what Orthodox Christianity is. And, um, or as some people would say, traditional. But Stephen had some thoughts about the word traditional. It wasn't thoughts. It was just, I was trying to say at the very beginning, when we talk about traditional and orthodoxy, we're not talking about pianos versus drums. If right. you grew up in a like conservative church culture, we're not talking about what type of music I listen to or like things like that. We're talking we're not about, even talking about politics. We're not talking right. about politics. We're talking about biblical beliefs yeah. from scripture, yeah. like the guideposts of our faith. I'm going to do that's the, what we're talking. Yeah. About. I'm going to do the one thing that you should never do and quote from Wikipedia. Okay. But I, sure. feel like, <laughs> I feel like out of everything I looked at, actually Wikipedia kind of boiled it down the best. All right. So uh, Wikipedia describes progressive Christianity as a postmodern theological approach and it is not necessarily synonymous with progressive politics. Progressive Christianity is characterized by a willingness to question tradition, acceptance of human diversity, a strong emphasis on social justice and care for the poor and the oppressed, and environmental stewardship of the earth. Progressive Christians have a deep belief in the centrality of the instruction to love one another within the teaching of Jesus Christ. So I think that's helpful to kind of set the stage in that way uh, because it, it shows that, hey, this is not necessarily synonymous with progressive politics, which often probably is how people would associate what we would start talking about today. We're not talking about that. We're talking about really a, a, a way that people believe things, a way that they approach really scripture and uh, human understanding, the, 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 the nature of man, 
uh, and um, and how they approach um, the teachings of Jesus. So, okay, um, so. That I do actually really like that definition from Wikipedia. I really so, did. Way I, to be. Uh, shout out to whoever wrote that on Wikipedia. There's yeah. one in a million. There's oh one in a million that's worth reading. <laughs> I would still not. I would still not get credit for that well, in my that, college paper. That's though. why in college there are some good things on Wikipedia. Yeah. But it's it's a, there's a higher ability of you getting something that's not good than but we getting like something that. that's good. But we that like is good. That I, will, I will give it to it. They so, did a good job. So we've designed prog- defined progressive Christianity. How would you then define? like orthodox and you may hear us interchangeably use traditional or orthodox in this discussion but what do we mean by that guys well we're talking about or when you're talking about orthodoxy it's the handed down way of beliefs like the foundational orthodox beliefs that have begun that we believe began with jesus and his disciples and have been the handed down beliefs through the church through the ages and it really goes back to i mean in in the bible we were talking about it like what's one of the like earlier creeds that you really see and like things that like really connect with what we believe about the gospel and we pointed back to first corinthians 15 1 through 4 right Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. paul says this now i want to make clear for you brothers and sisters the gospel i preach to you here it is here's the foundational thing when when he says gospel though he's not referring to just simply an experience of salvation he's talking about a body of belief he's Mm -hmm. referring to doctrine that has shape and form right because he's saying this is the gospel that i preach to you and then he says which you received and on which you have taken your stand so here's what i have preached that i believe from the scripture and from my experience with jesus personally because paul personally um met jesus on the road to damascus and then he says and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is, verse three. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So that's kind of a beginning little basic creed, uh, just straight from Paul's um, letter to the Corinthians. Hmm. And one of the earlier ones that we um, know of. And so... Christianity has been a body of belief now for over 2000 years, historic Christianity, historic Christianity. And so what is the orthodox belief? What's well, the handed down belief over that time frame that can be ratified with scripture mm-hmm. and that has been handed down through the church? I think there's a real confusion as you look back in church history and look at historic Christianity, because in the minds of people, there's a a real question when they hear of church councils or church, you know, elders or gatherings together, and then you see formings of creeds and doctrines, or even think of the Pope in Rome and just the the authority that he had. And so there seems to be a real questioning uh, of, well, is that historic? Is that true? And I think, you know, I think what you did, Stephen, is you rooted us not just only in the Apostles' Creed, which I think that would be a good one, one of the oldest statements of faith that the Christian church has affirmed going all the way back to the second century. And you mm-hmm. see some of those core doctrines of Christianity. Can you read it for us? Do you have it? Yeah, I have it here. Can we read the Apostles' yeah. Creed? It's, Actually, it's pretty well, short. Why don't you read it for us? It's pretty okay. short. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Catholic Church, which I'm going to pause. Catholic in this sense is in reference to the term universal, the church as a whole connected body. So I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Yeah, so that was historic Christian belief that Christians have held for centuries no longer. I mean, it is it is in many churches still held and affirmed, but not in all. But not in all. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think specifically, I I would wonder, and I don't have an answer for this, but I would wonder those who are probably in the stream of progressive Christianity, what they would actually think about the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. because I think, um, I think we go back to actually First Corinthians, where Paul is talking there about the gospel. Right, he's referring to something that he is given by a way of message that they have received and notice that they're standing on. So there's, there's a foundation of truth that, that, that church in Corinth was to affirm and to believe Paul says, unless you believed in vain and notice he roots it in three things. He describes the work of Christ, Christ, the person of Christ. He talks about the reason that Christ comes uh, to die for our sins. And then he, and then he elevates in verse three, the scripture, according to the scripture. Now I'll kind of work backwards, maybe from our discussion, uh, that from our, maybe from our notes that we've kind of put down here, because I think when you really bore down deep into what is progressive Christianity, it's often marked by three things. It diminishes often the deity of Christ. It often diminishes the condition of sin and it elevates moralism rather than elevate scripture. So, um, go ahead. You, where do you want to go from here? I would completely agree with you on that. Cause I don't know if you all knew this, but there is actually a website for progressive Christianity called progressive Christianity.org. I looked at that, but I couldn't tell if it was, I I it seems like one of those. It seems a little out there, but also a lot of what they have on here goes directly with what you referenced from your article. And one of the things that they say on here is, that we find grace in the search for understanding, which, hey, I, I agree with that. But secondly, and believe there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. So automatically, we're on different sides of the ball game here because we're saying that absolutes, orthodox belief, um, scripture, the Apostles' Creed, should all be questioned and therefore there's no value in it. Um, so or say, little that value last, in say it. that last phrase again. We should believe that there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. Okay, so let me ask them this question. How do you guys think progressive Christianity has become popular in our generation? Because I think what Stephen just mm-hmm. read is probably very characteristic of our age. It oh, is. I was thinking yeah. exactly what you just said, His that it really seems to be how the culture has informed and shaped Christianity rather than the other way around. Yeah. And even it's even in what um, children learn today. Mm-hmm. Like, wasn't it your um, youngest, Asa, yeah. my nephew? Um, he was, you all were talking about some issue we or a moral issue. We were talking about a moral sin issue that someone was involved in. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot for an eight-year-old, but we were very vague. But it came up and he needed to know something. He was asking something. questions. Yeah, yeah. He and was so asking can questions. you tell us what he said about it? He said, but but mom, can't can't we just do like whatever is good for us? Exactly. And that's an eight year old. And he grew up in a more conservative Christian home environment and all that. Mm. And he's still that's in his brain. So it's the age and culture we live in, I think, is the point of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think progressive Christianity caters to the current culture uh, with saying, well, we need to question everything. And we've referenced it before, I think, in the last episode. But you said something, Aaron, about how um, 
deconstruction without reconstruction. You said that phrase, I think. Um, and if it wasn't in the last episode, you said it while we were discussing the last episode together. Yeah, one of the articles I read uh, referenced it that way, and I thought it was so... Um, that describes progressive yeah, Christianity yeah, to me. Yeah, no, it was, it was like a tagline, and it, that's not my quote, but that was in an article, and I can share that on our notes. But he said it's, it's deconstruction without reconstruction. And that's what progressive Christianity is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at its essence, it's... Uh, it was, I think it was Ian Harbour who wrote that. Uh, he wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition entitled Progressive Christianity, Even Shallower Than Evangelical Faith I Left. And um, he makes the statement in the article. He, he says that, but he says the goal of deconstruction should be greater faithfulness to Jesus, not mere self-discovery and signaling of one's virtue. So what do you think about what he says there? I think that Aaron always gets after me because I always I answer a question with a question, but you skip something. Okay, there, I didn't mean to skip anything. There could be some people that really need some help defining. Okay. We need Morgan. Morgan defined our terms. Sure. Sure. Hey, Morgan, we, we miss, miss you. you. Um, but we need to help. We need to help somebody understand what deconstruction is. If you're going to make them synonymous, deconstruction synonymous yes. with progressive Christianity for this discussion, we need some. Yes. We need to hang some from framework here. I don't think it is okay. I don't think. What did it's you just say? Synonymous. I don't think it's synonymous, but I think it, it is connected. Okay. All right. When we think of deconstruction, um, there's been a real movement in evangelicalism over, I'd say the last, what do you think, few years? I, it's probably been two years at least that I've started really hearing some things. You think I it's longer than that? I would say five to 10. Five to 10 years? But you're probably hearing about it more because it's more frequent. Okay, and there is seems there seems to be a real push today to challenge individual Christians to deconstruct their faith. And, mm -hmm. and I think what, I don't, I don't have a, wor a working definition in front of me, but what I would probably say is it involves thinking about your experience uh, as a Christian and looking at the beliefs, the tenets of things that you do and hold to. And it would, I would think deconstruction is ultimately evaluating each of those things in light of an objective source, mainly meaning the truth of God's word. But what's happened is many people have taken that view of deconstruction and we're not holding it up to to a, a source of truth to reconstruct our our beliefs or our upbringing, our traditions. You know, very much a lot of what where we land is trying to, you know, get to the essence of, um, you know, people people aren't viewing they're not rebuilding their faith, if you think about it that way, and against an objective standard. And so. Um, what, what happens is oftentimes I think people are throwing the baby out with the bathwater in terms of doctrine. I don't know. How would you describe it? They would be deconstructing their faith for the sake of deconstructing rather than like, I agree with that. Could you talk okay. about your experience a little bit? Cause I, I, Versus, I well, yeah, like, yeah. Cause like what he's saying is it's like, they're trying to blow it up without a purpose mm -hmm. is where he's kind of, and going. I would define deconstruction as your faith. You take your faith and you kind of take it all apart in my mind. It's like all these little pieces on the table and you're going to pick up each piece and you're going to examine it. Mm -hmm. That That is how I view deconstruction. I'm not sure if that's how everybody else does. But how how do you examine it? I think is the question. Yes, I think that that is I think the that question. that's where he's coming in is saying if there is no examination from God's word, mm -hmm. 
an objective source of truth, then it's just deconstruction for the sake of deconstruction, or okay. it's deconstruction without an objective source. And so I'll never get my objective truth. So my personal experience, as since Aaron brought that up, is that um, in my life about, I guess, six years ago, there was what I would call um, a traumatic event, like more traumatic for me, like emotionally, spiritually, um, very overwhelming, a sense of loss, mm. trying to... So I sat there trying, it, it seemed that the things that I had been taught didn't quite prepare me for what happened in my life, huh. if that makes sense. And so the response to that is some people's response to trauma is to hold fast to what they believe. My response was more like, well, something that I was taught must not have been right because I wasn't able to handle this based with what I was what I was believing. So I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that that's true, but I, it led me to a place of a lot of reading. I read a lot. I started to read a lot of progressive writers. Granted, a lot of the stuff that they say, not everything is terrible that they say. Um, And I started to read a lot of them. And those progressive readers led me to this phase of deconstruction. And I'm not even sure that they, that, that they necessarily said those words in what I read, but that, continual questioning without an objective truth led me to the deconstruction of my faith, which then also led me to not be real sure if I wanted to be a Christian anymore. Huh. Yeah. So it brought you to a point of like, not just doubting what you believe, but doubting faith itself. Right. Yeah. yeah. So are you still there? No. Okay. So what kind of led you back then? I think, how did it work then so for you? It was, um, I would say for maybe Four or five years in particular, there was an oscillating in my life back and forth between faith and doubt. So anyone who probably knew me would be like, but she teaches Bible studies and she, you know, she's very outspoken about what she learns in um, reading the Bible and she this and that. Well, that's true, but it was like a continual isolating, isolating, oscillating between faith and doubt. And I would just always go back and forth. And I wasn't very public with that struggle um, because it really is kind of embarrassing to not know where you land or not know what camp you fall in. For me, it was anyway. Um, So did you grow up in a can I ask you this? Did you grow up in a Christian tradition or like in churches that you were encouraged to ask questions or to push up against a, a historic doctrine, you know, in a very tangible way or was it more of just like hey this is what we believe believe it um i would say the church that i was raised in I, to be honest i don't know because i never questioned anything okay like so I, this was like the I, first time for the, you i really okay the first time i ever started to question anything was when we served overseas as missionaries okay. so being a missionary when you're supposed to be very sure of everything um i was all of a sudden not sure of a lot of things and then um leading to a traumatic event, then I spiraled a little further out of control with like deconstruction. But I don't know, actually, I never asked any questions. I just believed everything. And I wholeheartedly believed it. Um, There was never a place in my life that I asked questions. Hmm. Um, I mean, I just heard what I saw, what I, I, I accepted what I heard as truth, and just moved confidently forward. Let me ask you this question, and I, this I'm not saying this is your experience, mm-hmm. right? So this may not be your experience. But when I have talked to other people that have really worked through a, a real season of doubt like that, where they're really examining the faith they have, I think that's a very positive thing. I think it's an extremely positive thing. 
that, that people are really, I think you see this a lot with young people, teenagers in particular, who grew up in the church. They are affirming faith because their family has affirmed that faith, or they grew up in a church that affirmed that, but they maybe have never really put all of their assurance, all of their confidence in that alone. Um, I found often when I would talk to those people, and I've felt this as well, so I'm not saying it's, uh, I'm not, I haven't experienced this. I do. I think a lot of times people in the church would give a kind of a, a cotton candy surface level answer to a very complicated question. And I, and I feel like, um, especially the generation today, like they want to understand, like they want to really understand um, if, if that is what I believe, then why do I believe that? I wanted to know why. So do you feel like there was some of that in your upbringing that you um, was like very surface level, like believism, but it wasn't. Um, do you feel like there was questions that you didn't really get the answer to? I never asked questions. So okay, my experience so this was just is very, very different, very different, yeah. very different as um, I'm between like, now I'm thinking, how old am I? I was between 25 and 30. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't until between 25 and 30 that I started asking questions. So that's very, sure. um, I think, unusual for for our culture. So I would be that would be very different than a lot of people's. Because I hear this among a lot of college students, sure. or people yeah. that go out of high school into college. I think there are a lot of pat answers that the church gives, um, and and I think that that's just a lack of theological training and teaching and in general. But that's a whole different conversation. Um, I do think there are a lot of pat answers that people give yeah. to people who are questioning. Hmm. And for me, the one thing that really helped me from the beginning to kind of coming to a revolu- resolution of where I stood was the idea. I remember saying to myself and to other people that if God really is the God of the Bible and he is really is who he says he is and the Bible really turns out to be what he, you know, the absolute truth, then he can take my questions like my questions don't scare him. Mm, he can good. if he really is who I hope he turns out to be, then he can handle this. That's good. And he so did that he did. in your life. Yeah. So, so talk hold on. So talk to how, where you are now. Where the like, resolution yeah. Is. yeah, where's your resolution? Without a lot of details, um, it really came to I finally got the courage to confess to my husband how many deep questions I had. And they were very like the questions that I had had for years. And again, oscillating back and forth between really feeling sure of what I believed and not knowing Mm. pretty quick oscillating within a few months of each other for several years. And I finally confessed to him all of the things I doubted. And they were like creed level, like what we read creed level doubts. Really? And he said, you know, Laura, the Bible is either all true or it's not. And you have to you you have to know that like you can't pick part of it. And no matter where you've gone with all of your questions, it is either all true or it's all not true. And that sounds really simple. But somebody looking me in the face and saying that in love, not anger. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the th- those in the stream of progressive Christianity are reinterpreting the Bible today. Yes, they're they're making the Bible say what the Bible never said. They're trying to reassess some of these historic documents or doctrines and say, oh, well, that's just back then. It's in need of revision. It's in need of updating, and it's okay. redefining. I think um, 
in some essence, what is faith, right? I mean, mm-hmm. because Jude says in the book of Jude, have mercy on those that doubt. Right. But then he talks about in the very next verse, people who have doubted completely and they've really abandoned the faith. So you wouldn't say you abandoned the faith no. of Christ, your faith in Christ during that time. No. No, but you were wrestling through, and the Bible says, hey, have mercy on those people. Be I'm kind. really thankful for that verse. Oh, yeah. I, re- I thought about that verse a lot. Have mercy on those who doubt. But Jude isn't talked about a lot. I mean, I preached no. through that book this year for the first time, and I thought, you know, I grew up my whole life nearing here, never hearing a message out of the book of Jude. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a real value in that. So can I ask you guys this question then? What do you feel like um, for people then – because I think what we're saying is people who deconstruct their faith without reconstructing it based on the authority of God's word, they are often allured by some things that progressive Christianity tells them or gives them, but it's not truly biblical theology. So what is the allurement there in those kind of progressive things that... Well, the allurement is kind of going back to one of the things that I read from earlier is that emphasis on we value questioning more than absolutes. So there is a value of questioning. And I think it speaks also to a detriment in in some more orthodox Christian believing churches of how we devalue questioning. Um, I'll never forget um, working with teenagers. I had a parent come to me once and they were very concerned that their child was looking into things from other religious sources and was just very concerned about that. And I said, you shouldn't be concerned. You should actually work with them on those questions and seek to come to resolutions. Like questions are good. If they don't ever question anything, they're going to have questions later (laughs) that they'll have never had answered, which Mm kind of sounds like maybe happened with you, Laura. So I I think that they are allured by that. And they're allured by the sense of, I mean, progressions believe that the revelation of God is progressive. There's a fluidity, there's a development there. And so I have to find these answers of how it's developed and I've missed it, you know, and they're kind of allured by that, I think, at times. I think when you think about progressive Christianity, I go back to those three things in diminishing the deity of Christ. Jesus is no longer God's son. But he's a he's a good example. And so we follow Jesus's teaching, not as authoritative, like deity, God saying this, but this is more of an example, somebody that we're to emulate. It really in progressive Christianity has has diminished the condition of sin. So people are not sinful people. Our culture today thinks that people are good people and they have an opportunity to, to be better, or to make themselves better. Um, but what does that do? That elevates man. It diminishes mm-hmm. God. And what it does is it elevates not the gospel, but it elevates a, a type of moralism. And I think um, Ian Harbour, in his article, again, from the Gospel Coalition, he says it this way, and I think he really hammers it. He says, progressives have become just as fundamentalist as the fundamentalists they despised. Only now, instead of traditional values being the litmus test, it is wokeness. So it, it, it produces in our, our, in, our, in our society, progressive Christianity does not elevate the gospel, man's need before a holy, righteous God, but it elevates man as a good person. And so you, you, everything is now, everything is divulged into this, not 
traditional values, which were like 50, 60 years ago, were the litmus test. But now it's the cultural wokeness of what people want to say is truth or not is truth in a very postmodern culture. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, well, it comes down. I completely agree with that. And that quote is so true. Um, In a search and in an effort to increase tolerance, they have become intolerant. Uh, in many cases, somebody who would be more of a progressive, progressive, hold to progressive Christianity. In many cases, they're tolerant to everyone except their fellow brothers and Christians who they disagree with, and they're highly intolerant of them. And so, um, I, I believe that that's spot on because, and I, I also liked the quote, a type of moralism. It's not a biblical moral value system. It's a moralistic value system based on biblical values of love and mercy. Um, So love is the highest moral and thus everything I do should be connected to love. And thus my case, the, what I believe about what is moral or immoral, right and wrong is traced to the highest moral love and my definition of it. Yeah. Laura, how would you add to that? What do you think about that? I just keep thinking about how, what you're saying it makes me think that progressive Christianity is a culturally acceptable form of Christianity. It's it's another gospel in the sense. It is. Um, I think that, that it's a, it's never a good thing when you're, when your faith is um, measured by its cultural acceptability either. I think you should be real concerned about that. Yeah. 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 If you're, if you're so focused on trying to be culturally relevant or, that somehow you can mesh culture, politics, and your faith on either side of the argument, right? Like we just dealt with Christian nationalism. And so now we're kind of on a different strand, but something very similar in a sense mm-hmm. in the ideology of it and the, f- the kind of the workings behind it. If you're, if that's your focus um, is trying to mesh those things together, then you got problems. <laughs> the Bible is, is very absolute and objective all throughout it, that your faith will be contrary to culture, will be contrary to sometimes country, and will be contrary to so many things um, that your allegiance is with Christ alone. And when that pits you against a certain side of the argument or something else, or it just doesn't allow you to participate in something, the, the answer is not, well, the Bible somehow is wrong and God has changed. No, the answer is maybe there's something off with the way that this is happening. You know what I'm saying? Right. And um, we always want to go back and try and change the Bible to match us. And I think that's what's so destructive about progressive Christianity is that on the surface, there's a lot of positive things that we would want to see. Like, hey, for people to really question some of their upbringing, not with um, but with an, with an honest question, have mercy with those who doubt you, we, we, we want to encourage human diversity and, um, care of the poor and the oppressed being a good Amen. steward of everything. But the aim of progressive Christianity ultimately preaches a different gospel and the gospel is not Christ is enough and I'm a sinner and, uh, and I, I need, um, that experience mm-hmm. of, of salvation. I, I need, I salvation, need and salvation and I need God's word to become my new standard of, of truth. But we have so embraced the postmodernism of our Western culture that we've deeply reluted. People have deeply rooted their progressive Christian beliefs in Christian ideals like love your neighbor or to, you know, um, even verses in James about caring for widows and orphans. I mean, we, they, 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 they use those scriptures, but they don't 
they would not hold to the essence of the gospel. I think what has led it to be another gospel is, I'm going to use a big word, but is is because of progressive Christianity's hermeneutic, the way that they interpret the word of God. So that that really is the root of why it ends up being another gospel. So um, I think a good example of how a lot of them, maybe not all, but a lot of them would interpret uh, the Bible is um, this quote from Brian McLaren. He said that scripture faithfully reveals the evolution of our ancestors' best attempts to communicate their successive best understandings of God. As human capacity grows to conceive of a higher and wiser view of God, each new vision is faithfully preserved in scripture like fossils in layers of sediment. Mm. What do you think about that? I think it's a lot to take in. Isn't it? I think, give me give me your take on his quote and then I'll... Um, it seems to like marry, like what you're saying, it seems to marry the idea of the Bible and the things that we like from scripture, you know, um, things that are good teachings, you know, right. we do believe in loving your neighbor. We do believe in helping the poor, the oppressed and sure. standing up for those who have no voice. We believe that, but they take those concepts and, um, they're really interpreting scripture through their, I don't know, like their growth and their, their understanding. Yeah. There's a word I'm looking for. And I, I, I don't know. It's like they're revelation like this new this new way of seeing scripture what it means to them, what it means to them. that's yeah. exactly right so yeah. what does it mean to us in our very enlightened postmodern minds yeah. so we now have what this means is we now have a better understanding of maybe what god meant right um there are also some progress progressives this is not all of them but some progressive Christians even believe that God himself evolves and progresses over time yikes so it's not just like we don't just progress in right. a, into a better and higher evolved understanding of what the Bible means. Right. Um, we are, pro- they believe that God is also progressing. Yeah. So that works for our culture because then if God can progress and change and evolve, so then can you, we. you can also, but if God can, you can make him to be any God you want. Yeah. And I think that's really where it boils down is that it, it, progressive Christianity primarily uh, preaches a different gospel, and that is a gospel of them, a gospel of them ourselves. And I think, isn't that the idol that we all struggle with? Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, <laughs> I mean, isn't that the idol that we all struggle with is um, when we diminish God and his glory and his truth, then in place of that, we elevate someone or something, and it's often ourselves. And so God becomes somebody who likes the things that I like, hates the things that I think, hate, uh, God becomes just like me. And that's the most dangerous thing. Um, because now I think for many people in probably broad evangelical progressive Christianity, um, there's no longer a source of objective truth that we are measuring our deconstruction of faith against. But now it's deconstructed based off of what does it make me feel and how do I like it and what do I not like and what is our culture value? And if our culture values something other than what the Bible values, uh, then we're going to find ourselves being tempted to esteem that. Yeah. And again, it goes back to, um, well, they would be interpreting the Bible through the lens of, of their culture. Um, so then like. Stephen, what would you consider an orthodox hermeneutic? Two really big words. 
Yeah. So what would you explain what that means? And how would you explain that to someone like the difference between a progressive interpretation of the Bible and then an orthodox interpretation of the Bible? So progressive lens, as we've already discussed, is one that focuses not on absolutes, but on questioning and thinking through things in our modern culture. Those are their values. I want to understand scripture through what I'm going through and through what's happening right now. A more orthodox hermeneutic, the handed down way of understanding and interpreting the Bible, that's what we're talking about, would focus more on a historical, um, a tr- an historical interpretation of what the scriptures meant when they were written. And so meaning um, often too, that incorporates much throughout scripture, I believe, and where I land is that many times it incorporates a literal translation, but there are some times where there is figurative language use. So a orthodox understanding of that is when figurative language is used, it's figurative. When it's not, it's literal. (laughs) So (laughs) historically do that. And it also looks back into the culture in which the writings were written. Now, this this can There's be... There's a fine line in understanding this. Exactly, because someone would say, well, we can understand in our culture today. Well, no, because Scripture was written by human authors through the inspiration of God, the, literally the leading of the Holy Spirit through them. Speaking into a particular, specific context. Then. Then, not, not now. now. <laughs> not now. So when Paul wrote to Corinthians, yes, it applies to us. Yes, it applies to you. If you are a believer and you believe in God, yes, the promises are yours. However, that was written in a particular day. So there was particular problems that Paul was referencing. There were specific things that Paul was saying that was meant just for the Corinthians. The application can come to us, but the interpretation was specifically for them. The application is timeless. Exactly. It doesn't change. And God's, and that's why I think sometimes we miss is if God can change, his word can change. And then that, that gets into a whole big problem because then like we're changing the meaning of what the original scripture was written and intended for. And if that's the case, then we're not getting what God intended. Cause if God inspired his word, that's what his word promises in Timothy, second Timothy, his word is inspired. If his word was breathed out by God to us and is everything we need, How can it be everything we need if it's constantly changing? Mm -hmm. Um, Because then we don't even get what God originally intended through his word. Mm. And um, we're missing out on so many things then because we're changing it. And it becomes our version of God's word, not God's word itself. Let me ask you this as we kind of wrap up here, then what is what is your guys's takeaways from a conversation like this because it's, I mean, we, we, we really did talk about a lot, but if you could really kind of boil it down to a, a real you know, personal takeaway, what, what would be your thoughts on that, Stephen? So I, I think of two words that come to mind when I think of last week's episode and this week's episode. Okay. Um, <laughs> Christian nationalism distracts progressive Christianity deceives. Huh, and those are good. the two words that come to my brain. So Christian nationalism, yeah, it distracts us from the main thing, but progressive Christianity truly deceives. And if it's truly another gospel, then what the scripture says about other gospels, I think applies. And we can miss the intended meaning of scripture, which is what is scripture about? It's about God, the story of God and the gospel. We can miss the entire gospel because we've become so focused on our little 
what interpretations is, what does of Paul it. say about another gospel? I mean, you referenced it, but yeah. what does the well, Bible say? Galatians 1 8, he actually says this. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Now, like, give me like 60 seconds here. I know we're on a time crunch, but give me 60 seconds. He's talking to people who had been preaching another gospel, but their gospel was very closely tied into Old Testament scripture and views on Yahweh, the God that we now serve. It's not like they were preaching like a completely different religion. They were preaching something that was closely tied to the beginnings of Christianity, but Jesus had come and completed that work, right? Right. So he was well, talking to Judaizers, and so they were adding their temptation. The Judaizers were tempted to add to the gospel just as much as others. I think probably progressive Christianity is tempted to take away from the gospel. Exactly, right. and so, but I think we need to understand that because just like progressive Christianity would add their takes to something that is already true, so in that context, that's what Paul was talking about, and he said a curse be on them. And, and that's strong language uh, <laughs> that that speaks of like destruction and like that. That's strong yeah, language. Because, well, because if you're resting in a different gospel, then you have no hope of salvation. Mm. I mean, that's I think that's the essence of what Paul's saying there. I mean, it's not like, oh, this isn't just you figure out what you want to believe and and hope that you're right kind of a thing. Paul's like, no, 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 no. Like this is the gospel by which you're being saved. And if you miss it, you add to it or you take away from it then there's really damnation. I mean, that's that's the weight mm-hmm. of what he's saying. So, Laura, what would be your takeaway then from that? My takeaway is... Or from I'm, our discussion. Sure. Yeah. I keep thinking about the person who's listening that maybe was in the place that I was in. Um, that all you guys are talking about, like, the subjective place of, you know, truth is subjective and living there and whatever. It's a terrible place to live. Mm. It's a terrible place to live and to be when you're not sure if the things that you were taught about God are true you're not sure if if everything the Bible says is true, or you're not sure what if you were interpreting the Bible wrong all along. Like, there's all these questions, and um, it's a really terrible place to be. And I would like to, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to read something that C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. So it's a good book. But um, I would like to read this. Um, and if you're like me, the person who is struggling, just listen to what he has to say. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Hmm. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Hey, that's so good. Because I think Lewis is focusing on, you know, it's what you do with the person of Christ. It is. You know, and I think that's what Paul preached in in Corinthians. It's just, you know, I want to pass on to you what is most important. And the most important thing Paul says, he starts, it's with Christ, what he did. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. I think my takeaway in all of this is um, this past week, I was preparing to preach uh, through a series in Revelation. And one of the commentaries that I came across 
um, in describing the letters of the seven churches where we were at. Uh, it's Keener's commentary. He says this. He says the seven letters, the letters of the seven churches often betray the characteristics of the cities in which those churches flourished. Remind us how easily churches can reflect the values of their culture if they do not remain vigilant against those values. He goes on to write, he says, this is illustrated. This illustrates a pattern in church history. The church, no matter how powerless in a given society, is a guardian of its culture. And um, I, I think that's our takeaway in all of this. It's, you know, you, where are you at personally? Well, what are you doing with the person and work of Jesus? And um, if you're struggling on that, you're questioning that, like, hey, go to God's word and see what God has said about your life and about eternity himself and uh, anchor your life in that. I would also say that if you really are in a place of questioning, it's okay to to ask God to show you what is true. He and, and some people don't even know what God they're talking to when they say that. But that idea of, okay, you're the one who made all the things. You're God. I'm going to need you to show me what's true. And my experience has been that he has shown me. He has been faithful to answer that prayer and to show me what is true. And the way that you will be the most convinced about the truth of God is if God himself is your convincer. Mm, that's so good. If he promised in his word... If you seek me, you will find me. If you knock, I'll open. If those are true promises, then we can do it and he'll follow through. Yeah. He will follow through. And I loved what you said earlier, Laura. If the questions we ask are about something that is completely truthful, which is God, then he will follow through and he will show us and they will stand up against the test of time and against any question. Yeah. And I think we need to be a, a really good, we need to be aware of, what our culture is valuing and realize that we need to be vigilant um, to esteem values that scripture would value and, um, and realize that the church was given to the world to be salt and light, like to be light that points people to the truth and to be salt that in, in, in a sense is preserving guarding its culture. So, Hey, we hope that, this conversation today has challenged you, maybe challenged your thinking uh, in some of these areas. And what we'd encourage you to do is after you finish listening to go to our website, wherewelandorg download the landing guide and work through that on your own time. You've heard us talk about where we land, but now we hope you'll download the landing guide from wherewelandorg and help you work through some good resources, some scripture texts, maybe a couple questions uh, that we have for you that would really help you determine where you land on this issue of progressive Christianity. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything we talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So give us a shout out on Instagram or on Facebook. You can also find us on our website at wherewelandorg there on the website, you'll find access to the landing guide from today's episode that would help you identify where you land on this particular topic. Well, listen, we hope to see you in two weeks as we release new episodes every other Friday. We'll see you here next time. Mm-hmm.